Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, February 2nd. How much does government debt cost Canadian taxpayers? We speak with Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute, for details on a new study that breaks down the impact national debt has on your bottom line. Why on earth do we look to groundhogs to predict the forecast? In observance of Groundhog Day, we chat with wildlife expert Michael Runtz to learn about these unique creatures that we celebrate each and every February. Time to get your head right. It's our monthly mental health moment, and this time out, mental health advocate Karen Gallagher-Burt focuses on the many different resources available to Calgarians looking for psychological consultation. The Catholic Church's teachings are jaded and discriminatory. That's according to author and former Catholic priest Jack Sissons. We speak with Jack about the motivation behind his new book and hear his personal story of when he started to question his faith in the Catholic Church. Like anyone else, the government has to pay interest on its debts. What is the state of provincial and federal debt in 2023 and how does it impact the average taxpayer? To discuss, we're joined this morning by Jake Foss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Morning, Jake. Thanks for joining us once again. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Can you tell us about the latest study uh, about the state of Canada's federal debt? Yeah, well, governments across Canada at both the federal and provincial level have been accumulating debt over the last last decade and a half. And what this means is that interest payments are now consuming a considerable amount of money across the country. So Canadians in every province will pay more than $1,300 per person on debt interest payments due to that federal and provincial government debt that we've been accumulating uh, since 2008. Oh, great. Uh, uh, thanks for the good news. Uh, <laughs> you know, aside from knowing that more money is coming out of our pocket nationally, as far as Alberta is concerned, how do we compare to the other provinces? Yeah, well, one of Alberta's traditional strengths was that they had the lowest government interest costs in the country. But after years of deficits and mounting debt, the province has recently lost that advantage. Uh, British Columbia now pays the lowest interest costs uh, per person in Canada. Um, Albertans still do pay the second lowest government interest cost among the provinces, uh, but we see at just the provincial level alone, we're paying roughly $600 per person on government interest costs in Alberta. And then when we add in federal interest costs, we're paying roughly $1,500 in total government interest costs per person. Um, so there's a, quite a, a stark difference um, from what we saw you know, a decade and a half ago in Alberta. Jake, can you break down what the Fraser Institute does? Is, is, your, is your intention just to bring all of this to the forefront so that Canadians understand exactly what's going on here? Exactly, yeah. It's just to point out, um, you know, what is happening with interest costs. Um, I mean, right now we do have rising interest rates, um, and we obviously had this rising um, debt over time as well. Um, So what we're simply showing are are the consequences of growing government debt over time. Ultimately, households, um, you know, have to pay interest on their mortgages, and governments have to pay interest on their debt, uh, similar to those households that do that. Um, So we're just simply pointing out, um, you know, ultimately, what are the consequences over time? Um, if you have that growing government debt burdens um, and you're unable to balance budgets, ultimately, um, your rising interest costs, um, that, that's going to be, be, become, uh, you know, a bill that, that is due at a later date. And Fraser Institute, great for compiling these reports, looking back at the facts and figures, giving us kind of a, that picture in that point in time. How about forecasting? Can we see, are, are we bottoming out now, Jake, when it comes to this amount that we are owing? Are things going to be improving? What do you see down the line? 
Well, one of the, the things that's happened recently is that some provincial governments have begun to balance their budgets in, in 2021. Um, but a lot of this was due to um, unexpected revenue boosts, um, you know, high commodity prices with oil and gas prices um, or, or, you know, the economic rebound and high inflation. Um, but moving forward, um, you know, provinces are going to switch back. Some of them, at least, are going to switch back to, um, you know, deficits and, and accumulating more debt. Um, we're expecting you know, the federal government to accumulate debt over the next five years or so as well. Um, so this will mean that we're going to see higher interest costs at, at some level for some of these uh, governments. Um, so unfortunately, that will mean that the cost per person will likely rise over time um, until governments start to tackle this problem on a more permanent basis. Um, so especially at the, at the federal level right now, we're not expected to balance the budget until 2027 at the earliest. Thank you for breaking it down for us, Jake. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. The question is today, it's a big one, will it be an early spring? Yes, today is Groundhog Day and only the groundhog truly knows. Okay, maybe the meteorologists do as well. Joining us to talk about all things groundhog is Michael Runs, who's a wildlife expert and instructor at Carleton University. Good morning to you, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Do you know where the heck did this ever come from? Why do we look to the groundhog to predict the coming of spring? Well, it has old, old roots going back to uh, early Christianity when they had a a holiday called Candle Mass. And at first it was just a sunny day that would predict cold weather coming up. Um, Then it morphed in Germany into using the hedgehog as a shadow predictor. And when the Germans came into Pennsylvania... Uh, they brought with them this legend, and they had no hedgehogs in Pennsylvania, so the groundhog is a suitable substitute. And uh, so the shadow of the groundhog was used then to predict the next six weeks of winter. Michael, you know, uh, we I remember the movie like it was yesterday, 30 years ago, 1993, <laughs> Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. And we know about Groundhog Day through elementary school, growing up, what it's all about. But I don't know much about the groundhog itself. Can you tell us about a groundhog and the trials and tribulations of this creature and what its days look like? Sure. Well, actually, groundhogs have really benefited from our actions in eastern North America, where they've cleared away most of the forest. And you have you have a lot of prairie out there, which is good habitat. But here, uh, they like the open spaces too, and the clearing of the forest you know, provided a whole new area for them to colonize. So, groundhogs are far more common today than they were three, four hundred years ago. Um, now, they are a rodent. And they are the world's largest hibernator, true hibernator. <clears throat> and that's really fantastic. Um, when they go into dormancy in, in the fall, uh, their heart rate goes down from about 130 beats per minute down to as low as, uh, I think, half a dozen. Mm. Um, their body temperature goes down from 37 degrees Celsius down to about 2 to 4 degrees Celsius. And they go into a really deep, long sleep that doesn't... Uh, ever end at Groundhog Day. They, they sleep far past Groundhog Day before they come out of their dens. I think I might have been a groundhog in another life. Um, <laughs> what's unique about the groundhog's behavior, Michael? Are they, are they nasty little beasts being rodents and all? Um, not really, though. They can be nasty to each other. Uh, when males emerge from their dens in spring, which they, they come out before the females do, they wander around looking at other dens for females that are receptive. And if they encounter another male, they will fight. And they use their front 
claws for digging and, and for fighting, and many groundhogs have scars on them from these encounters. So to themselves, they can be aggressive, but not to humans. Um, another thing is their front teeth and incisors that use to chop off plants never stop growing, and they self-sharpen. Uh, so they're fantastic tools for the diet of vegetation. Uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, they of course are great diggers, and their dens underground. They have long tunnels that so can be 30, 40 feet long with side chambers. And the longer the groundhogs use those dens, the more elaborate they, they become. And they actually have a chamber off to the side of the main tunnels. That's their latrine, and so they're rather clean animals because they use that latrine. And when it fills up, they block it off and dig a new one. <laughs> Fascinating. That is, yeah, that is very, that's intelligent. I See, would... Andy, maybe you don't hate Groundhog Day just as much anymore. It's not a One hate. thing, too, you might you might find rather romantic for, for Valentine's Day, which they're still sleeping, but they have these special glands inside their mouth like to secrete uh, oily substances that are used for marking territories. But they're also used for communication. And when two groundhogs approach each other, uh, say male and female, they'll stand up, and one will stick its snout, into the other's mouth to get a whiff of these wonderful scents. Wow, incredible. I've learned a lot. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Sue is going to apply for a groundhog. She likes the hibernation idea. I I love it. You've sold her on that, Michael. Do you know know why groundhogs hibernate? Why? They can't afford the airfare down south. (laughs) (laughs) We got a joke out of the deal as well. This might be the the best segment of the day so far, at least in the 6.30 to 7 o'clock time slot. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michael. We appreciate your time. Happy Groundhog Day. You're very welcome. Have a great Groundhog Day. You too. Michael Runtz, wildlife expert and instructor at Carleton University. And it is time now for our mental health moment. We do it on the regular because we all kind of need it right now. And joining us again is Karen Gallagher-Burt, mental health advocate and social worker. Hi, Karen. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Good morning. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who'd like to reach out for help, but they don't know exactly how to access mental health help. What kind of supports are available to us right now? Well, it's interesting, uh, interesting times. So big thing for many folks, of course, is, is the counseling available and accessible? And is it affordable? Um, and so there are a number of services, of course, that we get through AHS and places like that. But unfortunately, right now, they're very, very, very backlogged. Um, for example, the grief services, if uh, you're looking for accessing those, it's eight months out to get it. Um, one of the things that we have in Calgary is a number of not-for-profits that offer their services either for free or on a sliding scale. And I think that's where many of folks don't know how to turn to that, especially if you've lost a job and you don't have access to your EAP program. Most folks don't know about the not-for-profits that do this work. Yeah, okay, so, so where? I know, uh, Karen, we've got so much access to information in 2023. We can yeah. text, we can, we can go online, we can pick up the phone. Where, where do I start, period? If, if today I think, you know what, I need some help, I need to talk to somebody, what would you suggest being the very first step to get some you info? The first, first thing I would do is I would actually call or text 211. So in our city, we're very fortunate. Most major North American cities have a 211. Um, here it's run by the Distress Center in Calgary. And when you call 211, you can call 24-7. It's always open and available. Um, and they also have interpretation. So they have over 200 languages, including all of the Indigenous languages. Hmm. So you can call in and say, you know, I speak Tagalog, 
and get an interpreter and you can tell them what you're looking for but you don't need to know the name of it so that's where it's fantastic i'm looking for counseling i can't afford to pay um do they have a counselor that speaks i don't know um urdu and and they will be able to tell you which places have counseling by your postal code they will try and give you what's closest to you uh, and and then you can go from there, and so that's where I'd start always with two one one because they're the the best places to um, honestly they're they're the experts in it. But the other thing that's out there quite right now that's quite fantastic is there's a website called CommunityConnectYYC.ca, and on there they connect you directly with affordable and barrier free counseling in person, phone or video. And there's a bunch of different not-for-profits on there that each offer counseling for different areas. Uh, and so you can go in there and you can do that in the middle of the night and you can book your own appointment. Brilliant. Okay, so 211 and communityconnectyyc.ca. Excellent. You okay, so yeah, and those are great places. The two excellent options for everybody just to kind of put in the back of the mind, maybe input it in your phone just so you have it available. But you know, I wanted to ask you, what are wait times like when you do reach out? If you if you call two one one or you reach out to communityconnectyyc.ca. You bet. So it's going to depend upon um, you know where you go. So that we have on there, they have things like rapid access. So you can get into a counselor within three days. So there's a lot of them on there. Distress center is. Um, they guarantee if you do an intake on the phone, give them a call, uh, that, that what will happen is it'll be within maximum of about seven days. We'll get you in with a counselor. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of them that are quite quick. Yeah. Um, distress Center is 100% free. Places like Calgary Counseling are on a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. Um, counseling for Family uh, and Children, they have that a lot from Caria and places like that. And again, sliding scales for folks. And sliding scale truly means if you can't afford it, if you don't have an income, you pay nothing. Karen, something that was born out of the pandemic, the Zoom, the Skype, the Teams meetings when it comes to mental health. uh, Is that continuing? Are you seeing a lot of the practitioners making sure that that's uh, something that is uh, included past pandemic? You bet. Actually, most places are staying with hybrid options. Uh, Once they figured out how to get... um, you know, what, what platform they could use that had the confidentiality side of it and the security side, it's actually been a real bonus because many people have had troubles traveling or um, getting access to even C-Train or the funds to take it. So the offering it on a virtual side, we're going to continue with that in most areas because uh, it does make it more accessible for many people. Thank you so much, as always, joining us. Appreciate it and, and sharing some of these resources with our listeners too. You bet. You guys have a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. Karen Gallagher-Burt, mental health advocate, social worker, distresscenter.com, communityconnectyyc.ca, or simply call 211. The book is called Catholic Church, Why Not? Diaries of a Small Town Priest. It's told in day-by-day <coughs> journal entry format. And joining us to talk about his controversial writing is author and former Catholic priest, Jack Sissons. Good morning to you, Jack. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So as a former priest, believing the current teachings of the church are jaded and discriminatory must not have been a terribly popular belief. Tell us about how this book actually came about. Well, it uh, began during COVID. And um, I'm a, lo- a long time, like a lifelong Catholic. And and uh, I decided during these this lockdown that uh, I... I decided to write a novel about the church. 
So this is pure fiction. Um, and uh, m much of it a product of my imagination. And uh, But essentially, the, uh, the book is... Uh, explains the conflicts of this Father Cam, this middle-aged priest, formerly married, the, the struggles and conflicts he has with the, the current church's teaching about love and forgiveness, tolerance, and things like that, versus <clears throat> the practice of the church, which, you know, which uh, teaches no birth control, no abortion, no divorce, uh, no assisted dying for people, um, uh, a discriminatory attitude to women uh, and gays and transgender people. So it's, uh, as you mentioned in the, in the beginning, it's, uh, it's his daily journals as he, for the first four months uh, of his, of his uh, new assignment in a small town parish in Western Canada. So you mentioned, Jack, that this is a fictional account, but with your background, obviously drawing from, I would think, real-world experience. And in fact, you've been quoted in the release saying that you discovered how saddened and disappointed you were with the current leadership of the Catholic Church. Tell us about that. Was this an accumulation, or was there really one day where these things added up and you said, I am, I am disappointed? No, I think it's been a long-term issue. Um, I think it began in 19, in the late 60s, and uh, when uh, the church, based, after consulting lay people for uh, for months about the whole question of birth control, uh, and this commission really recommended that the church back away from any restrictions about birth control, and the Pope at the time, Paul VI, uh, came out banning any form of birth control. So. To me, that was uh, the first step in in my uh, disagreement with the church uh, and my disappointment. So you said at the beginning this is a work of fiction, but obviously with some of your thoughts and feelings behind what you write about, what kind of response did you get from the book then? Well, we're just marketing the book at this time. So um, I've been, uh, from the people who have read it, uh, People like myself love it, and uh, but I haven't heard negative criticisms yet because I, I suspect people are too polite to tell me that they don't like the book or they think that I'm wrong to be writing this or they think I'm out to lunch. Jack uh, Sissons joining us, Calgary author and former Catholic priest. The book is called Catholic Church, Why Not? Diaries of a Small Town Priest. So it, it seems to me anyway, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, Jack, that you wrote this for yourself. This is something you had to do. Uh, but now that you've put it to paper, now that it is available, who do you think should be picking up this book? Who is your audience? Uh, my audience is the, is the Catholic layperson in the pews. Anybody. I mean, I would like, I w I've sent a copy to, to the Pope, by the way. Pope Francis, but he hasn't acknowledged it yet, and who knows whether he's actually received it or not, because, you know, that uh, the Vatican is a very big institution in Rome, but uh, my audience is everybody. I, there's no restrictions. 
Jack, you retired from the priesthood back in 1970. I, what I think is fascinating myself, though, is that you hold a, a Bachelor of Arts in philosophy. So is that sort of where this becomes, you know, where you sort of step in and start philosophizing about the things that the Catholic Church does or doesn't do in this case? And maybe this is a chance to, to change things up a little bit. Should the Pope or somebody else reach out to you from the Church? Well, you know, I think... <clears throat> My main work in my life was a city planner in Calgary. And uh, in any work I did in the community, we always consulted people about how was the quality of life in your neighborhood, your community, and and what could the city do to make it better? And I'm a firm believer that uh, the institution of the church should be consulting uh, people in the pews, people like me or you, to say, now, what can we do to make this our beliefs a more exciting inspiring changing the world i mean imagine if what the world would be like if we all practice love and forgiveness mm -hmm. you know we and uh, no judgments mm -hmm. to me i think the world would be a much better place Agreed. and uh sorry go ahead i just agree with you i i couldn't agree more in fact <laughs> Jack, one one last question I want to get in here. And obviously you're laser focused on Catholicism from your experience with the book. But how do you view the state of organized religion on the whole in 2023? Because the world has, has changed you know, immensely over the past 50, 60 years, maybe even the past 20 years. And of course, the online world and the pandemic might have thrown a, a, a wrinkle and a, a change up on how people gather within their organized religion. How, how do you see the future of organized religion? Well, I can't speak for organized religion in general. I feel comfortable talking about the Catholic Church, and and I think it's, you know, it's uh, it's its emphasis on all these restrictive behaviors, these moral judgments, is very out of step with the world. I think you know, men and women today have equal rights in all parts of society, and yet they don't in the church. Uh, you know, the the gospel says we shouldn't judge one another, and yet we judge uh, gays and transgender people extensively. Though I mean, and I got to give the Pope Pope Francis credit. <clears throat> he recently came out and said, you know, that that uh, he doesn't think that uh, <clears throat> the church should be prejudicial against uh, gays and transgender people. God loves them like he does everyone else, yet he refused to recognize their marriages. So I think, you know, like we're, it's, mm -hmm. you know, we seem to be half there. And uh, I, I think the church is terribly out of step. And I think that's why the, the young people have abandoned the church. And, and to me, that's a sad, sad thing. Thank you so much for joining us and talking about this. I think it's an important discussion to have for sure. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Jack Sissons, Calgary author, former Catholic priest. You can find his new book. It's called Catholic Church, Why Not? Diaries of a Small Town Priest at authorhouse.com. You can find it at Amazon or a bookstore near you.